Why don't you give the Lord a hand? What a beautiful time of worship and praise together. Jesus Christ is our living hope. If you're here today, we want to introduce you to Jesus. If you already know him, we want to tell you more about him because we believe that life is wrapped up in a relationship with him. So we're not going to give you eight things to go home with and say, now make yourself better by doing these eight things. We're going to tell you, he's already paid the price. He's done it all. So you say yes to him, and he can do ten things through your life before you can ever get to eight. So that's what we believe around here. We have two services, a 9.30, 11.15. Our music style is different, but we rally around God's Word. And what beautiful music today. Uh, the worship team has been gracious with me this morning. They cut a song, so uh, I'm going to cover more verses than I've ever covered before teaching. So I needed a little extra time. It worked out fine today. So Ephesians chapter 3, as I prayed about verses 1 through 13, I thought, well, I can try to cut it off at about verse 6. And the more I prayed, the more I studied, there's, I said, there's no way. It, it comes as a collection. It comes as one thought. So that's an excuse for me just to go longer. But it's really one thought that Paul's saying. And so we're going to take this one thought together I'm going to pray that I can slow down enough to where God can rivet the truth into your heart because my tendency is if I'm going to cover more, I'll go faster. But I am taking a slowdown class during the week. I promise you I am. I just haven't passed it yet, so we're thankful. Uh, But God's Word is true, and we love Him if you're a guest. Thank you for coming. We just want you to know who Jesus is and the fullness of Him who is all in all. So Ephesians chapter 3. Let me read this text, and you follow along in your heart. Then we'll break it out as Paul tells us. He says, for this reason, and for the reason that he's saying for this reason is chapters 1 and 2, what he's been telling us about the grace of God. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you heard of the dispensation or the stewardship of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ, there's that phrase again, through the gospel, get this, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am the less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known, here it is, through, by the church, through the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation or sufferings for you, which is your glory. Father, I pray you would take this passage. God, it is, it is so incredibly powerful. Every bit of your word is inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible. But this little passage tucked in where Paul actually starts a thought 
loses the thought, comes back to the thought, is extremely important that we're focused in and honed in on what you would have for us today. I pray that you would minister grace, you would minister peace, not only to me, but through me to those that are listening. Father, we just want to yield to you. We want to say yes to you. We want to understand that the grace of God makes us into something we can never be made of our own. So we trust you today. We love you today. I pray you'd save someone, encourage someone, give someone the ability to hear from you. Give us spiritual eyes to see and a heart to hear. And not only to hear, but to respond to your wonderful gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's where Paul goes. Notice the text. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, for this reason. All right? And then in chapter one, uh, 3, verse 14, he says, for this reason. So somehow he got disjointed. Somehow he got disconnected. But actually, he really didn't. So he's going to start the prayer. He was actually going to start the prayer in verse 1. But he has some things that are on his mind. And then he's going to pick up the prayer that he was going to start in verse 14. Isn't it great when you're not on medicine? I mean, it just lets you go and do whatever you need to do. But this was penned by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I want you not to miss. Paul is writing here. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees. Excuse me. For this reason, that's 14. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Now, let me tell you what's been happening. For two chapters, Paul's been talking about the grace of God. The grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so when I, you think about grace, and we've defined it as unmerited favor. But you could go a little further with the word grace, and I'm going to give you a definition here in just a moment. But grace is what can only be given away by God. So grace is not earnable. It's unearnable. You can't earn your way. You can't be good enough. Grace can only be received by a God who wants to give it away. That's the only way it happens. Salvation is a gift. Ministry is a gift. Empowerment is a gift. Enablement is a gift. It's all a gift of God's grace. Let me see if I can explain it this way. I went to uh, East Texas Baptist University in Marshall, Texas, played basketball there one semester, but it was a real one. It was good. So when I went there, we had in Marshall, because we didn't study when the sun was up, we would study like all night. They had the hot biscuit at buffet all night long for college students. So, and I played basketball. It was really interesting. It's amazing. I only made it just a semester. But anyway, there were called what was called panhandlers. They would hop on trains that would go through Marshall and Longview, different places in East Texas. And these were panhandlers. And what they would do is they would get off at whatever the next stop was. And what they would do was they were wanting food. So this was what would happen. I would be over at my friend's house, and his mother would be cooking, and there would be a knock on the door. And the knock on the door was from a panhandler who got off a train, and what they would ask, it was, it was common knowledge, they would ask, could we have some food? Do you have some food that we could have? Do you have some food for free that we could receive? And my friend's mother would go back, and we had just finished eating because I was a freeloader as well and so at college, and so I was eating at his house, and what we did is um, she would go back, and she would pack up some of the leftovers of the meal, and then she would hand that meal to that gentleman or that lady that was a panhandler, and they would move on, and we found they would go from town to town. They wanted a free meal, but they would begin it by knocking at the door. Now, let's change the story just a little bit. Uh, this didn't happen, but let's say that the same gentleman who got the free meal now comes to the door, but what has happened 
is the week before he came to the door again, he robbed my uh, friend's house. And so uh, his mother and my friend knew that he had robbed the house. So the same man has now committed a violation, not only of my friend and not only of my friend's mother, but the state of Texas. So um, yeah, he should spend some time in jail or she should spend some time in jail. But he still comes to the door and asks for a free meal. The mother knows that he's already committed the crime and she responds immediately the same way that she responded before. The first time was kindness and compassion. This time is mercy and grace. He doesn't deserve a meal based on what he's done. She goes back, packs up the meal, brings the meal, hands it to him. Now that is grace. Here's why. Because he deserved wrath. He deserved a phone call. The police should have come. But she decided to give him all the blessings that were already hers and and distribute those and dispense those on him. And so he walked away, not getting wrath, but getting grace. Now, what Paul has been doing for two chapters is sharing with us that in Jesus Christ, we have all the blessings of God. When we deserve the wrath of God, we have received by faith the grace of God. Now, let me tell you what's different from the story in Marshall, Texas. When, when, when God comes knocking on your door, you didn't come knocking on his door first. He initiated salvation with you. So that's the grace of God. You didn't start knocking on his door. He started knocking on the door of your heart. And, and you know you deserve wrath, and you deserve punishment, and you deserve hell. Anything short of hell is grace. Is that not right? And so he's dispensed his grace through Jesus Christ. So the difference in the two is, by grace we've been saved through faith, and we deserve wrath, and we deserve judgment, but through Jesus Christ, he's given us his grace. And that grace has now permeated, last week, the church. We talked about the Christ-driven church. Now here's what Paul does. Notice it here in the text. I, Paul... This is going to be a long one. Just buckle your seatbelt. Turbulence is ahead. Put your trays in the upright position. Okay. So he's a prisoner. Notice the text. I, a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Basically what he's saying is I'm in jail because of you. He's not blaming them. But he's saying because I came to be a light to the Gentiles and I came to preach the message of grace to the Gentiles, I label myself as a prisoner. Now watch this. Paul is not a prisoner of Rome. He is a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, which totally changes your perspective. And the idea of the word prisoner is he's been captured. He's been captured by the grace of God. So what Paul does, I I could be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. I think I'm right here. I really do. I think what he started to say was he was afraid that they were going to lose heart because that's what it says in verse 13 where he picks up his thought. He's afraid that they're going to lose heart and he's afraid they're going to lose heart because he's in prison. And if you think about it, how can God use anybody who's in prison? God can't use anybody in prison. Oh, yes, he can because God doesn't operate with bars and walls. God is free to do whatever he wants in a person who has surrendered to him. So Paul does a double take and he says, wait a minute. I'm a minister of the gospel. I've got to communicate to this Ephesian church that God is using me in prison. In fact, in my prison is a pulpit, is a platform. The world is my stage. And so I'm going to be captured by the grace of God with joy and mercy and grace in the midst of a prison so I can encourage you not to lose heart. 
What prison are you in this morning? Where God has you in a prison. A prison may be of your own making. It may be a prison of a storm that he's allowed in your life. But God wants to squeeze the message of grace out of your life, just like Paul, because you've been captured by the grace of God. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He says, I, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So we could say we're prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been captured. Could he blame his prison sentence on the, on the Gentiles? Yeah, he could, but that's not what he's doing. But he's saying, I'm actually in jail because I've been preaching to you. That's why I'm in jail. And then he says, look at verse 2. If indeed you heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, the stewardship of the grace of God, that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about, I have had a message and it's the mystery of Christ where Jew and Gentile come together as one. That's what Paul's been talking about in chapter 2. The mystery is in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. But here he says, I've been made a steward. Have you heard of the stewardship of the grace of God? The grace of God that we don't deserve. Paul says, listen, God has given me a message. And this message is in me. But this message that's in me is not for me, it's for you. Do you get that? That's what he's saying here. It's an amazing thing. Listen, if God ever does anything in you, the message is not for you. It's for somebody else for you to encourage them. It's for you to include somebody else in the blessing of God. That's what Paul's saying. This mystery, it, it was revealed to me and it was hidden in Christ, in God. But now that it's been revealed to me, it's not for me, it's for you. So, so basically what Paul did is he received the message of God's grace and then he released the message of God's grace. I remember, and I may have shared this, I can't remember, I shared it in some setting. I just don't know where. So act like this is a new illustration. I was on a mission trip one time and we were uh, building a house with bricks. We had a long line of people. Oh, it, I did share it with you. And it's a long line of people. And so we, it was brick by brick we were building this house. So we would receive a brick. I was in a line, but this brick was not for me. It was for me to pass on to somebody else. And when I released the brick, I received another brick. Salvation is receiving the grace of God. It's releasing the grace of God. So brick by brick by brick, we built a house in another country, and when we got back on U.S. soil, somebody could say that there was a house that was built, not by their hands, but by the hands of somebody else, who learned to receive God's grace and release God's grace. That's what Paul's saying. He said, I'm a steward. He said, I'm a steward of the grace of God, which was given to me, but it's for you. Think about that. In your life and in my life, whatever we include that is for us, realize we are blessed in order to be a blessing to somebody else. And it's to give our lives away. It's not to hoard our lives up in a church and huddle up and say, well, we got the play called in the building. Listen, the church has left the building and we are the church and we are the building. So we scatter to receive and release that which God has given to us so we can bless people. Not so that we can look at ourselves so that we can say, look what he did with someone who was surrendered. That's what Paul's saying here. Do you see the thought? Do you see the flow of the text here? Now he says, look at verse 3. How, by, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, 
as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles, look at this, should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So what Paul is saying here, he's talking about the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Christ that was hidden. So it's always been in God's heart to not conceal the mystery, which is what I'm titling this today, the mystery concealed but now revealed. See, God had it in his heart that he would dispense grace on the Gentiles and that the grace of God would come through Jesus Christ and his grace to the Gentiles. And then because of that, that the Jew and the Gentile would come together, not only and individually have an encounter with the living Christ and the living hope that we sing about, but they would live their lives in community with one another because we've been placed in a family. Now you gotta understand this, the word mystery, I mean, I think of Hardy Boys, I had to do reports on Hardy Boy mysteries to try to figure it out. Here's something about a mystery in the scripture that you need to understand. The mystery can only be known by revelation. And once it's known by revelation, it's not a mystery anymore. So a mystery has to be unveiled by someone else. God himself unveiled the mystery. That which could not be known is now known because of the revelation of God that the Jew and the Gentile could come together and the mystery of God's love and God's grace is for everybody. And that's what Paul's talking about here. So when you think about the mystery, think about your life. Your life is on the stage. Your, your world is your stage. And think about uh, the world is our stage and think about we're, we're on the stage of life as actors, if you will. We are trying to live this truth out about the mystery of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us. And God the Father is the script writer. So when we look at our lives and people look at our lives, we think, well, what is the next scene? Here's what we need to understand. We don't need to worry about the next scene because God's the script writer. He's got it all planned out. He had it planned out before eternity, eternity past, all the way to eternity future, and eternity now, and my life planned out now. He is the script writer. All I need to do is understand that I can surrender to him and allow him to do the mystery of his work in my life as I yield to him. That's what he's talking about here. So the mystery is these two groups of people could not get along. There was distortion, there was confusion, there was hatred. But watch this. Now in Jesus Christ, he has made both groups one. Isn't that amazing? He has made them one in him. Not because of them, they couldn't get along. But now he's brought them together in one. The Bible says that's the mystery of Christ. Have you ever gone to a movie that's a mystery? Have you ever, you know, you pay good money to fall asleep at a movie that's a mystery, don't you? I've gotten some really good sleep at movies that are mysteries. But here's what I want to say to you. Don't fall asleep with the mystery of God. Because the mystery is Christ now lives in you. And Christ now lives in me. So Christ in you, Christ in me, God the script writer, writing the story. We're on the stage of life and we're living this truth out before a world. Uh, we're, a love, we're a living proof of a loving God to a what? Watching world. That's what God's doing. So this mystery that was hidden 
And the foundation has always been in the heart of God for him to unveil it in his time. And once he's unveiled it, watch this. Once God unveiled the mystery through Jesus Christ, it's no longer a mystery. It's available for everyone who would come by faith to him and trust him as Savior and trust him as Lord. That's what Paul's saying here. This is an amazing thing about how God works in incredible ways. So here's what I want to encourage you with. God has a story that he's writing. He's the script writer. You're just on the stage of life. And God is wanting to tell his story through your life. That's how valuable you are. He's wanting to tell his story through your life, through the way that he has blessed you so you can be a blessing to other people. He wants to tell his story through you. You tell me that's not the grace of God. God is so gracious. He is so good. He is so kind. He is so compassionate to take somebody like me and you who were broken and now make something beautiful out of our lives. Oh, praise goes to him for that. The mystery is that God would use any of us, right? Now watch this. I'm, I'm telling you, it just gets better. Don't look at your watch. Look at the text. We're in verse 7. Now I'm going really, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to meddle here because I'm speaking to myself. Of which I became a minister, Paul says. He's talking about this mystery. He's talking about being in prison. He's talking about being a steward of the gospel. And then he says, of which I became a minister, look at this, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Here's what we like to say. We like to say that ministry is our gift to God. Not according to Paul. Ministry is God's gift to us, and there's a huge difference. Do you understand that? Paul says here that he would not have become a minister if it wasn't for the grace of God. So we like to tell God all the things that we're going to do for him. And God's wanting to tell us all the things that he wants to do through us because he gave us ministry as a gift. And it's not only a gift, Paul says in verse 7, it's a gift of grace, just like salvation, right? So, so we're saved by grace through faith. And Colossians 2, 6 says, as you're, as, therefore, as you are saved by faith and grace, so walk you in him. So the same way we're saved desperate, trusting Him, believing in Him, depending on Him is the same way we live. Trusting Him, believing in Him, and depending on Him. And the ministry that He gives to us is His ministry. It's not ours. See, that totally changes your perspective. Brother John was preaching about this out of Moses this morning in Exodus chapter 4 about putting the rod in God's hands. And so what I want to say to you here is Paul says he wouldn't be in the ministry if it wasn't for the grace of God. So not only would I not be saved if it wasn't for God's grace, I would have never been in the ministry if it wasn't for the grace of God. Now here's the beautiful thing about it. We're all in the ministry of the gospel of grace if we've been saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We all have a ministry. Do you understand that? You have a ministry. I have a ministry, but my ministry doesn't belong to me. I'm a steward of the mystery. I'm a steward of the grace of God. God has entrusted me with something that is not mine. It's his. So the way that I care for his gift to me is I yield to him, and I surrender to him, and I say yes to him. Let me just tell you an example. So the Envision garage sale, which you'll be invited to at the end of this service, but we still got some stuff left over. 
and you still got money in your pockets you need to release. So you're good. So Paul says that he's been made a minister. Now, when, when you think of Envision and all the hours, and, and Elizabeth Nipper, she's going to give a report at the end, but uh, all the people that have served and given and, and made this happen, it's because we're all rallying around him. It's not because, and we don't say this, like uh, there was an email that went out from Wes Holloman and it said, hey, we need people in the gym now to pick up chairs. We need people to put up tables. We need people to clear stuff out. And here's what you didn't hear. That's not my gift. See, a lot of people say, well, that's not my spiritual gift. Well, my spiritual gift is not picking up chairs. <laughs> my spiritual gift is not help. Let me tell you something. Listen carefully. You, if you have Christ in your life, at any moment, he can give you the ability to do what you don't even want to do, nor can you do. You got that? And so why, what this means is ministry flows out of surrender to him. It's not my gift, it's his gift. So we all rallied around and we moved chairs because we want to do ministry and life together. We've had the grace of God individually pack, impact our life, but now as a community of faith, we move forward. Let me see if I can explain it like this. Do you remember the old school way when you would pull up to get gas at a service station, not a gas station? Okay, now I'm dating some of you, including myself. You would go across this little cable, you would pull up, and there would be an attendant waiting in the window over there. And as soon as it went ding, ding, they came out. And they say, how may I help you? How may I serve you? And you said, fill it up. And so they would fill up your car while you stayed in your car. And they, while you stayed in your car and they were serving your vehicle and they were serving you, they checked your oil. And you know why they sold more oil? Because they checked more oil. Do you know why they sold more window wiper blades? Because they checked window wiper blades. In other words, they were there to serve you. Do you know why you bought tires at a service station? Because they checked your tires. And I think we've moved away from the ministry of doing whatever it takes to get the gospel out. We're saying, well, that's not my gift, or I don't have that calling. Let me tell you something. We've been made a minister by the gift of the grace of God, and ministry is shedding your position. There's no one too high, and there's no one too low. My station ceases to be an issue. I do whatever it takes to serve him and trust him and give him all praise and all glory because he's the script writer in my life. And when I serve people and I serve God, then that's his service through me. And it blesses people when he starts blessing people. And he just wants me to be a conduit. And guess what? You too. You too. We're all in this thing together, are we not? We're all using the gifts that Paul says are a, a grace gift to bring Him glory. So it's going to take all of us in envision. It's going to take all of us praying and all of us giving and all of us coming together. But that's what the grace of God does. Now, notice what the text says in verse 7. It's according to the gift of the grace of God, Paul says, given to me. That's salvation. He, salvation is a gift. Ministry is a gift given by God to us. Look at the text. By the effective Working of whose power? His power. It's his power. It's not my power. It's not my power. It's his power. There was a man who was uh, 
uh, going to a World's Fair, and when he went to the World's Fair, he saw this man. It looked like a man, and he was pumping his, his uh, it looked like he was pumping a pump, and his hand was going up and down, and water was flowing out of this pump, and he said, there's a man that's pumping water, and he's really pumping it fast. The closer that man got to what he thought was a man, he found out it was a dummy. And the dummy's arm was tied to a pump. And the dummy's arm was the one that was pumping the water up and down. And so the closer he got, he realized that he was not pumping the water. The water was pumping him. Stay with me here. Because what happens is when people really get a close-up look in our lives, they say, oh, you must be really powerful. You must be really strong. And we say, no, 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 no. No, we're not pumping this power out. He is actually pumping us. And it flows through our lives. And that's what Paul's saying here. So effective ministry. Brother John taught me this. Effective ministry is being a servant. It's being a servant. So where do you serve? Where is it that you're gifted that nobody else is gifted and you can serve with a smile and joy and grace that God has given you a place as a gift. Now look at verse 8. To me, who am I, to, excuse me, to me who am less than the least of all saints. Here it is again. Notice the text, the grace. It's three times he's used this word grace. To me who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given to me. It's a gift again that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see, to bring to light what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Do you see what Paul's saying in verse 8? He's talking about humility. Do you see what he's saying? Listen, I am the least of all people who would be qualified. Paul has a humble spirit about him. Paul has a humble spirit. He, he preaches in humility, and he preaches understanding that he does not deserve this gift, but God has dispensed this gift on him. Therefore, in humility, he's going to release the gift of hope through a position of humility. God can only use us in the ministry. He can only use our gift when we use it in humility. My prayer every, every day, every day when I study, every day when I preach, every time I preach is, God, I can't do this. But in humility, I come before you. And I trust you to do through me what I can't do. And you know what? When I don't preach, but he preaches, people get blessed. But in my flesh, if I preach, God says, that ain't going to cut it. I don't bless your flesh. I only bless what I've already blessed. And what I have blessed is my son's life in you. So Freeman, you yield to my son's life in you. And people would be blessed when you delivered in a position of humility by the grace of God. It's in our humility that we serve. It's in our humility that we love. It's in our humility. Paul says he was the least, less than the least of all the saints. He said in one place he was the chief of sinners, and we understand that. But he says, God has given me a gift. And here's what he says in verse 8. He says, not only to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and the idea of that would be it's like an accountant. that An accountant who is trying to count all the riches of Christ could never account for all the riches of Christ because they're not accountable. So they're unsearchable. They're unfathomable. All the grace and mercy that God has dispensed on us, we get, he's preaching to the Gentiles about the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
and the fellowship of the mystery that was hidden in Christ through, through Jesus Christ. Now, verse 10, let's go to verse 10. Now, here's what he says. We're coming home in, in just a few minutes. Yeah, just a few minutes. Verse 10, here's what he says. To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God, that means the multicolored wisdom of God, God the story writer, writing a story through us that has multicolors. It's a beautiful tapestry that he is writing on the canvas of our lives. And as we get in on the mystery of God through Jesus Christ, he brings out his beautiful life through our life. That's what he's talking about here. And it points to the manifold wisdom of God, that God's got so much wisdom and it's so multicolored and multicolored and multifaceted that he might make that wisdom known, look at this, by the church. So the church can be blessed. When God tells his story through you, and when God tells his story through me, and then we got God telling his story through a lot of different people who are on the stage of life, and when he tells his story, his story always ends up with his son, Jesus Christ, loving people, encouraging people, giving people hope. So God uses us in that way. God was using that to encourage the church. So the church... The future of the church is really, really bright because God's really, really bright and he's really, really powerful and he has all wisdom. Now, not only does God want to put us on display before the world, he wants to put us on display before principalities and powers. Notice the text here. It's kind of unusual. Here's what he says. That he might make known to the church, verse 10, and make known to the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. So he wants to put our life on display in the heavenlies. So you have holy angels and you have holy, uh, unholy angels in the heavenlies. So, so what is God wanting to do? He's wanting for my life and for your life and for our church as a community of faith together to teach the angels what it means for him to have an eternal plan that he had before the foundation of the world. God's graduate school for angels is us being on the stage of life where God uses us to glorify him. And so we've got half the angels that are hoping that we're going to fail and discourage us and Satan wants to discourage us. But I'll tell you, every time somebody is saved, every time somebody is baptized, that discouragement goes away because we see the grace of God coming forth. And then we have a, another host of angels who are the holy angels who are pulling for us to finish the race and not to lose heart. And our life is on display, Paul says, before the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. So he puts us on display on the stage of life, but then he puts us on display in the heavenlies. Isn't that amazing that God would use any of us? He uses us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our failure, in spite of our shortcoming. Now look what he's doing here, because he's all talking about not losing heart. So he doesn't want anybody to lose heart in here today. And here's what he says. According to, verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. So what is the eternal purpose of God? We've learned this as we've gone through Ephesians. The eternal purpose of God is for God to find a dwelling place in our hearts. And that dwelling place is his eternal purpose. He has always looked for, an, for someone that he could take up residence in through Jesus Christ. So when I invite Christ into my heart, 
God takes up a dwelling place in me. And God doesn't want a visitation. He wants a habitation. And so a lot of churches want Jesus to come visit. And they sing songs like, pass us by. And God does. But God's not wanting a pass by visit. He's wanting a habitation and a dwelling place. Now watch this. His eternal purpose is that dwelling place, it's in you. And it's in me. So he's using us. He's using our church. He's using us to bring glory for him. That's his eternal purpose. His eternal purpose is for you to know his son personally and to know that Jesus Christ, not only does he love you, but he died for you and he has a plan for you and he wants to come to live in you so that your life can be on display for his glory and for his good. And watch this, so that you and I won't lose heart in this world. Listen. The best thing you have going for you is that Christ lives in you. That's the best thing. It's enough. It's the best thing. you. I, I can't tell you anything better than that. All ministry, all life flows, flows through him. So that's his eternal purpose. Now, verse 12. We're good. I'll slow down. We're good. In whom we have boldness. Watch. Because we're on display in front of the world. We're on display in the church. We're on display before those in the heavenlies. Look at this. And then he says, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We have access to him. Tony Evans tells this story. He's one of my favorite preachers. Tony Evans tells this story. He's a chaplain for the Dallas Mavericks. And sometimes he takes church members to go to the Dallas Mavericks game who go to the Dallas Mavericks game all the time, but they don't go with Tony Evans. And Tony Evans doesn't park where everybody else parks. Tony Evans has a VIP pass. So if you're with Tony and you're with him, you don't park where everybody else parks. You go into a garage. And you don't have to go into this open-air parking and, and show your ticket. You just stay with Tony because you have access with Tony as long as you're with Tony. So what happens is Tony tells the story where he goes right into the elevator and they go up to the second floor to a total buffet that's provided and paid for all because you're with him. Everybody else is buying $5 dogs and popcorn and all that, but you're not with, you're with Tony. So, so you go up to the elevator and when it's time to go get your seats, you go down the elevator and you walk out the tunnel where the players walk out the tunnel because you're with Tony, and he sits next to the players, and he sits on the sideline. So all of these benefits of grace are because you're with him. Do you know when the ball game's over with? You don't fight traffic. Because you go back down the elevator, up something some to some parking garage, and you exit out this side exit all because you're with him. Do you see what Paul's saying here in verse 12? We have access and boldness and confidence through faith in him. Because of what Jesus has done, we have access to the Father. It doesn't matter what your earthly father was like because you have a perfect heavenly father who loves you dearly. And Jesus came to wipe the smudge of your daddy's lens so that he could show you a father who is perfect. Because none of us have, I wasn't a perfect father. You're, you're not a perfect father. None of us are perfect fathers. But Jesus came to point us to the perfect Father, and Jesus came to give us access to God. Because He lives in us, we have access to the Father. You don't have to go ask somebody to pray for you. Pray for yourself. I said that last week. Now, if you need prayer, that's fine. We have a connection ministry. You can do that. That's wonderful. We will pray with you. 
But you don't need us to go to God for you. You can go to God for yourself because you have access to Him because of what Jesus has done for you. So it's a relationship. Now watch this. Paul's closing with something very powerful. I want to ask the Lord to give me the ability to speak it. Therefore, because of everything that I've just said, do not lose heart. I don't want you to lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. What Paul is concerned about is that the believers are going to lose heart because he's in prison. Paul's saying, don't lose heart because I'm a minister while I'm in prison. You're a minister outside of prison. We're all ministers. We're ministers everywhere where Jesus is and he's impacted our lives. You're ministers in Ephesus. So he says, one of the things that will cause us not to be able to fulfill God's eternal purpose in our life, listen carefully, is when a person loses heart and God doesn't want us to lose heart. See, if you lose heart, you start by losing heart emotionally. The first thing you lose is emotional heart. You become disengaged when you lose heart. And Paul says, let my sufferings, let my tribulations, let my sufferings be for your glory. In other words, I'm in prison because of you. I'm in prison for you. So let my imprisonment encourage you not to lose heart. I want to say to somebody today, if you're here and you're about to lose heart, do not lose heart. I'll tell you how you don't have to lose heart. You say yes to Jesus Christ who wants to change your heart and your focus. That's what you say yes to. Paul is afraid they're going to lose heart. And if he doesn't pray, and if they don't be the answer to that prayer, they're going to lose heart and throw in the towel. So what happens first is you lose heart emotionally. You become disengaged emotionally, and then you lose heart with your activity. Some of you have unplugged with the ministry, maybe here at Sagemont, and you're not plugged in anymore. You, you, you've been hurt. You've been wounded somewhere. Listen, welcome to the real world of faith, right? Sometimes in church you get hurt a lot, don't you? But the church didn't die for me. Jesus did so I can keep moving forward. I can take my pain and I can take my suffering and I can ask God to use my pain and my suffering to encourage you not to lose heart. And you can ask God to use your pain and your suffering to encourage me so that I won't lose heart. So neither one of us want to lose heart. And the way that we don't lose heart is we allow God to do through us what we can't do. And that's encourage people in our trials and in our sufferings and in our pain. Because one day we are going to be pain-free but not until then, whenever then is, when Jesus comes back. But in the meantime, we can't lose heart. The mission is too important here at Sagemont. The church of Jesus Christ is too important. So don't lose heart. I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you feel like, man, I'm about to lose heart, don't lose heart. Let Jesus take your wounded, broken heart and put that heart back together so, he can, so you can serve him. Listen, every one of us in this room are a cracked pot. 
We all got cracks. We all got crevices. If you took a pot and you put it to the sunlight, you'd see all kinds of cracks in my life, and I'd see all kinds of cracks in your life. But guess what? God uses us, cracks and all, to be for him what we could never be on our own. So we don't want to lose heart in this place. We want to keep pressing on. We want to keep on keeping on until the Lord comes back. Doing what only God can do through us as a church so that he gets all the glory. It's not for our benefit. It's for somebody else's benefit, right? It's, it's, it's not for us to build up a kingdom here. It's for us to say his kingdom come, his will be done on this earth. Would you pray with me this morning? Would you just bow your head and just maybe you're here this morning. That's a pretty fast run through of Ephesians chapter 3. But it's powerful. It's powerful. Because I'm speaking to somebody this morning, maybe many, that you've never had a heart change. This Jesus that I've been talking about and this effective power that he can give you, you don't have that in your life right now. You're, you're operating out of your own fleshly ability to try to cope with life, and it's falling apart around you. But this morning, by faith, you can trust him. You can receive. Paul said at least three times in this text, it's because of the grace of God. If you're here this morning and your heart is broken, your dreams are crushed, maybe you're at the end of the rope and you say, I, 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 this is it for me. I, I can't go on. I cannot take another step. I am so down. I am so depressed. I am so angry. Can I tell you something? You're in a great position to trust Jesus as your Savior, and He'll take you just like you are. You don't have to clean up your life. He does that. All you have to do is receive Him by faith. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you receive Him by faith right now? Would you say, Lord Jesus Christ, I have to acknowledge today that I don't know you, and I want to know you. I want to receive you into my life in this moment right now in this auditorium. I ask that you come in. Forgive me of my sin. Take my broken life and make something beautiful out of it because I'm putting it in your hand today by faith. God, will he loves you. He'll forgive you. It doesn't matter what you've done. For those of you in this room that you're believers, I want to encourage you today that you have a ministry. You have a ministry that God wants to flow through you. And all you have to do is yield. Say, God, whatever ministry you want to gravitate me toward, I am available to do whatever you want to do. Move my life. Adjust me from where I am to where I need to be. But I want the ministry that Paul says is given to me by grace, I want that to be true of my life. Maybe you just want to resign today and say, I'm going to resign of trying to do things better and trying harder to make ministry happen. And God says, I'm glad that you're going to resign for doing better because I'm the one that wants to do the things through you that you could never do better. I'm the better one. Find your ministry. Allow God to find it for you. Just say yes to him. It's by grace that we do ministry in this place. Father, encourage those that are losing heart. May they fill out a prayer request on the card. May they go to the Connection Center so we can pray with them in some way. 
to encourage them. Thank you for what you're doing here at Sagemont. Thank you for the beauty of grace that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 3. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.